Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. I am your host, Dave Wakeman. This episode is brought to you in part by my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. To find out how you, your organization, can partner with Booking Protect to deliver world-class customer service. Create a better, more personalized buying experience for your customers and how you can deliver a new stream of revenue to your business. Visit them at www.bookingprotect.com. Once again, that's www.bookingprotect.com. Happy New Year from me to you. This is going to be the first episode of the year. Happy 2020 even. I'm going to try to not make bad 2020 vision jokes all year long. Um, but before I do get into today's podcast with Frederick Awad from Stay 22, I did want to take a, a minute or two to let you know about a few things that are coming up. Thank you for being here. You know, all kinds of great, great stuff. Uh, the first thing is, is that this episode is going to go live on Monday, the 6th of January, 2020. And Intix is coming up in two weeks on the 20th through the 23rd of January in New York City. So... Uh, from today, well, actually, since last Friday until the 13th, which is a week from today, the 13th of January, I am going to be running a contest in partnership with my friends at Booking Protect to give away um, a free registration to Intix 2020 in New York. And what I want to do is how you can enter is you can do this by signing up for my Talking Tickets newsletter. Right, so you can go to my website. That's www.davewakeman.com, and you can sign up. Uh, click there's a link there. You can sign up for the newsletter. Every time somebody signs up, they'll get one entry. Once you sign up, there's going to be a page that's going to give you a link. And if you share that link with some of your friends, coworkers, colleagues, then I'll give you an extra entry for every person that signs up. So you'll get more chances to win. I'm going to give away. I'm going to run this until about noon next Monday the 13th of, no, of uh, January, and then I'm going to let, let the winner know. Um, also, you're going to want to come by and see us at Intix in New York. Uh, I'll be there with Sam and, um, Simon and Kat at the Book and Protect stand. We have a double booth this year. It's going to be great. We'll probably have the, fa- the famous white leather couch. It'll be awesome. Uh, also, I'll be leading a couple of conversations, one on discounts, one on customer service, with some really great people like Simon Mab, Martin Gameltoff, uh, Ghislaine Bullman, uh, a few other folks. So that's going to be great. Um, the next thing I want to talk to you about is... A couple new ideas that I'm going to roll out, and I want to get your feedback on whether or not these things would be valuable or not. Um, as I have mentioned on every other episode of the Business Fun Podcast, uh, you can email me anytime you want to about uh, thoughts, ideas, questions, guest suggestions, any of these things at my name, Dave at DaveWakeman.com. And I'm always going to get back to you. But what I want to ask you is there's two things I want to try out this year, and I want to know if they are valuable to you. The first one is I want to maybe do a couple of webinars uh, about different topics or different ideas that I have uncovered or found that work over the last couple of years. Um, the first one I'm going to try, I'm going to, still working on confirming the dates, is I want to do a webinar around using email and language as a prospecting tool. So better prospecting through email and you know, written for written contact. Uh, it's built off a training I did with a couple teams over the in the last quarter of 2019 uh, that worked really well 
um, the teams I worked with in sports uh, had great success with some of the concepts we talked about and I want to maybe push that a little further and see if I can deliver this some of this content over the um, a webinar and along with some worksheets and some things like this if you think that'd be a good idea send me an email daviddavewakeman.com and let me know what you're looking to learn or where you have been um, kind of trying to look for some new knowledge and I'll see depending on what the feedback is I'll see whether or not I should push forward through it the other thing that I'm going to do more of this year is I'm going to do a few more workshops. Uh, I've done a couple workshops last year, 2019. Very, very successful. Um, lots of engagement, lots of great feedback, lots of great ideas. Um, these things seem to work in a very, very um, great manner for people. So I want to do more of those. Uh, and so again, the second question I want to ask all of you that are listening today is... Number one, what are some of the things you are looking to learn about in the new year? Uh, number two is what's your city? You know, and number three is, you know, where what have you done as far as like learning about these things that you're struggling with or looking to learn more about in the past, you know, and what's some of the things that are working and not working? So, you know, give me like a kind of full holistic idea of the things you want to learn about, where, what you've done in the past, and what's working and what's not working for you. And then I'll see if it makes sense um, or if there's an opportunity to create some workshops. Um, those are the two ideas that I want to roll out right now, which is webinars and workshops, which gives people a little bit more of an opportunity to work with me in a little bit more controlled setting, but also where I get a chance to bring people together and I get to teach people, which are two things that I seem to enjoy do well and that seemed to be fun for people um, another thing which I know I said two things but then there was a third thing and that probably will be more um, as I think through these things is I want to do a few different things with the podcast this year so number one I want you to send me emails daviddavewakeman.com with any suggestions for guests any topics that you are looking to learn more about or have been struggling to discover more information about send them to me let me know what they are on top of that, I also want to do some question and answer things. So if you have questions, ideas, comments, things that you want to learn more about or want to hear my take on, send me an email, daviddavewakeman.com. Send them to me on Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever. And I'll every time I get a batch of really interesting questions, I'll put together an AMA podcast. So you can ask me anything, right? Whether marketing, strategy, any of that stuff. And so I want to try to do a few more of those just because I think that they have the opportunity to be, you know, break up some of the interview content, but also provide you some different value. The final thing that I want to talk about today before I get to the the episode is I want to talk to you about what's going on in Australia. There's wildfires that are destroying the country right now, um, putting a lot of people in risk, um, animals, uh, you know, beautiful nature. Uh, as anybody who's been a regular listener of the podcast knows, um, I went to Australia for the first time in November. Uh, it was a magical place. I don't know that I've had an opportunity to talk about that enough yet. Um, yeah, I'm hoping to have Angela Higgins on so we can recap the conference and talk about what they're going to do going forward. Um, but I would encourage all of you to, if you have a dollar, if you have five dollars, um, you know, five euros, whatever it is, um, try to support the Australians in their time of need. Uh, I have been pointing people to the Red Cross of Australia. Um, it's really uh, important, um, you know, 
the fires, the destruction of property, the destruction of wildlife, the destruction of just the entire country right now and all of the things that they're dealing with. It's really, really tough. And um, I don't want to let this moment pass without like pointing you towards them because I know that they, number one, could use our support and need it. So check out the Red Cross of Australia or any of the other organizations that are working to deliver um, aid and help fight these fires in Australia. So that's it. My guest today is Frederick Awad from State 22. Now, Frederick is going to be on one of my panels on service at Intix. And I wanted to have him on because I thought he brings a really, really great uh, point of view to customer service because fred he doesn't come from a standard ticketing background he comes from the world of hospitality so we have a really great conversation about tickets uh hospitality customer service um you know how to deliver great customer service um you know how to recognize great customer service you know what we don't do if we don't have empathy for our customers it was really great it was really unique um you know if if people don't know my background i started out in nightclubs and it was interesting to talk to fred because having that hospitality background was very interesting especially when i coupled it with um, maureen anderson's keynote in sydney or at paramata at the ticketing professionals conference of australia because she talked about what if we didn't say no all the time and what if we said yes so it was really great to talk to fred it's um really going to be a great conversation that we're going to have at intix around um, customer service i mean we got simon ma'am we got fred uh you know and, and i forget who the third person is right off the top of my head and i should have that in my notes but i don't so forgive me um but it's going to be a really great conversation because those are all these people that I put together on the panel have a customer first approach. Uh, I have definitely been accused of being too customer focused, but I believe in the premise that your job is to create and keep customers. So I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation for everybody to listen to. Uh, hopefully it's a good preview of what we're going to talk about at Intix. And without any more from me, because this introduction has gone way longer than most of them are, here's my, my conversation with Frederick Awad from Stay 22 on the Business of Fun podcast. I want to welcome Frederick Awad to the Business of Fun podcast. Frederick, Frederick, uh, I'm going to call you Fred from now on. Uh, <laughs> what's happening, man? Uh, not so much. Uh, we're here in Montreal. Uh, nice and snowy, sunny, uh, snowy, not so sunny, actually, uh, morning. And, uh, I mean, things are going good. Can't complain. It's Friday morning. Off to a little uh, weekend getaway with the family tonight. So can't complain. Oh, that's going to be great. Um, now, I'm having you on because we are going to be on a panel together at Intix coming up in about, by the time the podcast comes up, in about a month. Um, and we're going to be talking about customer service, which customer service is kind of a constant theme on the podcast. Um, I've had on a lot of people, uh, including one of our uh, panelists, Simon Mab, who's the CEO of Booking Protect. Uh, so I thought it would be awesome to have you on because I like talking about customer service because as our 
um, panel is going to talk about, I think it's the best form of marketing. And, you know, I think you have a very, you have a very interesting background, number one, because you're in tickets now loosely because you're working with State 22, but you come from the background of hotels and travel, which is, I got to be honest, probably where I learned a lot of my principles from. Um, so can you give us a little bit of an idea about like, A, what you do, what we're working on now, and then B, kind of how you come around to your philosophy of customer service and what it is. Sure. Well, Dave, again, uh, thank you. uh, Thank you very much for, for, uh, for having me on the podcast. Um, So yeah, I mean, I'm with Fit22 now. It's been uh, four months. Um, You know, we're basically an interactive map, a sort of new way for event goers to, to approach travel. Um, one of the big things we're really working on now is, is, you know, um, getting our offering, our interactive map on right after the actual ticketing flow of, of big, uh, prime, uh, primary ticketing, uh, platforms or ticketing technologies to sort of, you know, offer, offer a more comprehensive global experience to actually event goers. Um, as we know, travel is one of the needs of, of many of them. And, um, you know, we feel we got a strong opportunity there because most ticketing platforms don't really cater to that need or didn't feel that they needed to cater to, to, to that need. But as the market evolves and, you know, we're talking about a lot of, you know, patron experience, fan experience, um, travels a big part of that experience. And, in my obviously very biased point of view, I think uh, Stay Stay Twenty Two um, really, you know, answers that need better than anybody else on the market right now. Um, in terms of your second question, like my philosophy on customer service, well, I think you, you hinted perfectly to it. Um, I come from you know hotel management uh, roles, uh, corporate housing service departments, where obviously by the nature of it, right, it's a very high touch high customer touch industry where, uh, you know, well, two things, you know, I mean, one of them, housing, um, accommodations, a very sensitive personal thing. So, uh, you know, people tend to get more emotional about, you know, where they sleep, where they stay than, for example, the software uh, that they use. Uh, just it's a more, more, more sensitive thing, more personal and more subjective thing as well. And also the fact that, you know, it's, you, you get very, very live feedback from your customers, right? In that, in that world. If somebody is not happy or something's not working the way it should be, um, you know, you, you, you can't hide. It's, he's going to come and see you and tell you there's something wrong. So, um, that really, you know, forced me or really habilitated me to, to, to go neck deep into servicing your customers, servicing your clients. So it taught me very, very, very valuable lessons that I'm trying to, to apply now, um, at State 22 and in this more sort of software tech world. Yeah. The, and the idea that, uh, hospitality is high touch is sort of, um, the foundation of what I learned a lot, right? Like you came from hotels and I came from uh, nightclubs and bars and, and restaurants. Uh, it, you know, and it, 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 the, the parallels are really, really, um, yeah, they're huge. Yeah, they're travel. huge. And I think what it does, and I would often tell people that like one of the most important jobs you can hold, especially as you, if when you're young, like learning how to be a professional is probably to take some sort of jer- service job, either in a hotel or a bar or a restaurant or something, because uh, the skills that you develop in having to deal with people, uh, of different and various, uh, types, um, with different and various needs, uh, desires, uh, dispositions is extremely valuable. <coughs> Excuse me. And, um, 
And so, you know, so this is exciting to share with you because it's like we're going to – or with, with, with the audience because we're going to come at this from like different points but I think with a very similar uh, point of view. Now, uh, one of the things that our panel is going to talk about is the idea that customer service is the best – to me, the best form of marketing. And that's my point of view. It's been my point of view for um, as long as I remember. Um, and you said something to me when we were kind of preparing for the podcast that I thought was really, really great. And you talked about how a lot of these ideas are just common sense. Um, and, and one of the challenges that I face, and I'm not certain if you face the same thing, is that what I view as common sense often leaves me a blind spot when I'm talking to other people because people don't necessarily understand that what I think is common sense is not necessarily common sense for everybody. Now, when you're talking about customer service, you know, can you take both sides of the issue for me for a second and say, you know, why do you say it's common, like most of these principles are common sense, but then looking at it and knowing that that's not necessarily true for everyone, how do you help people see the light of your point of view? Yeah, well, that's that's a great question. And, um, well, I think, you know, I think I, I see it or we see it as common sense. Uh, because of things like you just mentioned, right? Our, our exposure in our, in our younger days to, to like service jobs with the public, right? And sometimes, you know, whether it be in a nightclub or, you know, a high end restaurant or a high end hotel where expectations are high and feedback from the client is very direct and sometimes very candid, right? So, so you kind of get, you're forced to learn, you know, to be client centric and to showcase empathy and understand the client, right? So you're right. Something's what we see as common. We see as common sense somebody, and I'm, I'm generalizing here, somebody who maybe had a pure background in terms of being a programmer was never exposed to these types of like um, servicing the public or high touch industry uh, might not see it as common sense, and and I mean that's fine. It, it's it's we shouldn't assume I shouldn't assume that it's that sense is so common, right? Uh, depending on the the field that um, uh, the other person is in, um, I think also you know it's. When you do, when you do work with the public substantially, um, and you have this sort of high service, high touch industry, you, 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 you see it as common sense. You see good customer, good customer service, I'm sorry, as an investment. And as you mentioned, as a very good form of marketing, um, I'd say like definitely the most cost efficient way of marketing, right? In the sense of, uh, you know, we, we all seen the, the impact of an angry customer. I mean, you've worked in restaurants. If bad service happens to a patron, right, he's not going to come back. Nowadays, he'll probably write a review on whatever review website. He'll talk to five or six or 20 different people on how bad his service was, right? And that essentially in marketing is, is, is horrible, right? It's the, a very unbiased, bad review, right? Essentially is kind of a, anti-referral. There's sufficient stats, you know, online and studies that show that one angry customer is equal to 16 anti-referrals, right? So, um, you know, it's, you, you're always looking for the opposite, for positive referrals, right? And usually a positive referral, so a, a, a super loyal customer might tell five, six people about how great your restaurant or your hotel or your software is, right? Um, that's powerful, but it's unfortunately not half as powerful as an angry customer. So that's why, you know, for me, it's it's kind of common sense that, you know, a good service is an investment is a very cost efficient way to 
to go about marketing, right? Um, on the flip side of things, right? I think for certain profiles, um, it's also evident because customer service for them, the customer service department is kind of seen as a necessary cost, right? And um, like you mentioned a bit earlier offline, it's it's very easy, you know, uh, accounting-wise to track the cost of customer service. Okay, you know, we have a staff of 20. They cost X per, per month, so this is my cost, and, you know, the hours of this. We need to compensate customers by giving a discount. All easily, like, very direct, you know, action-reaction in terms of the balance sheet to say, like, hey, this month the customer service department cost us X, right? And and it's it's much more difficult on the other hand to link new revenues or revenue growth to your customer service efforts. Not saying it's impossible, but it's it's true, it's substantially less direct, right? Um so often, you know, um if you're removed from that from your customer base or you're not exposed to your to what your customer service teams are living day to day, or you don't make a conscious effort, right, to really get the pulse of your customer base, well, exactly, you just don't see the customer department, um, the customer service department, sorry, as a potential revenue generator, just see it as a, as a necessary expense. And like all necessary expenses, as soon as push comes to shove and you get some financial pressures, some accounting pressures, well, you start cutting where you feel you, you're cutting, your cut will not affect revenues. So since you're not able to link customer service to new revenues, well, you're cutting on customer service, which is, in my opinion, obviously like a vicious circle because you're create probably having more churn, uh, more angry customers that, you know, talk badly about your service. And it's kind of the vicious circle of bad referrals. So that's why I feel, you know, it might be common sense for us because we've lived in a very direct feedback understanding, you know, what a bad customer um, can bring and also what a good loyal customer can bring. You see it firsthand in, in industries like a nightclub uh, or restaurants. Um, it's much harder to get that live feedback if you're in software, for example. Yeah. And one of the questions that I, so I did in Melbourne, I was in Melbourne a couple of weeks back, uh, Australia and delivering a workshop that was called fans for life. And one of the things about that was we were going to talk about marketing. And I said often that when you're making a decision about something that you're going to do, that you're going to offer your customers a good yep. way of thinking about it or asking a question to figure out whether or not it's like really makes sense or not is to ask yourself how you'd feel if you, if yep. this was done to you. Right. And then the more powerful question I, I said was to ask yourself how you would feel if it was done to your mom. Right. <laughs> yeah, and and hopefully good. you like your mom is like, I guess the underlying oh, question. That's a very uh, good one. actually. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's the way I've always helped people frame it. Right. Because it, I, I understand over the years I've figured out that it, it's not necessarily common sense for people um, and that people maybe do need a little help framing the value and the importance of customer service. Um, and usually having them see it like a loved one or, you know, for me, like, it's like, how do you treat my, my, my partner or my son? Right. Or, or yep. really important. Right. If you treat Catherine or Cormac, like crap, um, you know, I'm going to like thunder and lightning come down on you. Right. I mean, that's pretty much how it goes, um, you know, and that helps people frame these ideas, these concepts a little bit more, um, I think, thoughtfully and more, um, you know, puts it in the right frame of mind. 
And and that leads me to the, this idea that we kind of batted about earlier because I know that I have often, and I don't know where this came from, been given a label as being too customer centric, which I always say like, well, I don't know how you can be too customer centric, right? Because your business only really has uh, a job of creating and keeping customers. That's the job of a business. Um, but, and so I found out people said, oh, these are the principles of design thinking. And you had a similar point of view that you shared. Um, and I said, oh, do you think about it in terms of design thinking as well? Um, and then, and that plays out in the way you think about the entire user experience. Um, you know, how, uh, you know, how much of an influence is design thinking on your thought process? Uh, because I, I, you know, and I shared with you and I'll share it with the people listening to this is that I didn't know anything about the principles until this year because I read a couple books on it. Uh, one's changed by design by the guy from IDEO. I think is, uh, John Brown, Chad Brown, something like that, uh, which was really great. And it was like maybe the first book that covered this topic. Um, but I read a couple books about design thinking to understand what it was because I had always been labeled with that kind of thought process. And that's where the question about common sense came in. So can you give us a little bit of an understanding about, you know, A, design thinking and then B, how that kind of in, uh, interacts with the entire customer experience? Hundred percent. Great. Well, I think it's a, that's actually a very good question. It kind of leads into just before I go, I jump into that. I think you know, I need to how may I put it? Uh, clarify often like what's perceived as being you know customer service. So I think often you know c- customer service is seen as you know okay, it's the sense of support and help for the customer post transaction. So after you purchase the good, the service, the product, right? Um, and and even though that's I think necessary in most industries, um, I think for me proper customer service is essentially being client centric and it starts like you mentioned at the moment of design, right? Because ultimately if your design and your product doesn't really answer the needs of the customer or doesn't do what it's advertised to do properly, well, you'll need a whole lot of post-transaction customer service, right? So essentially the goal is be let's be client-centric from the get-go, right? So we don't have to have gigantic costs of uh, people on the phone or emails or chat box, you know, um, answering clients' uh, complaints because it's not performing correctly or it's not it's not good for the actual user experience. So you're right. You know, come for me, proper service. I mean, customer service for me essentially is just being customer centric, right? At heart, and it starts at design, right? So essentially, as you mentioned, business is about finding a customer need, right, and addressing it via service or a product and turning a profit out of it. So at your design stage, you know, you you need to ensure, like, okay, I clearly identify what problem am I solving for my customers. Right. If it's a software, if it's a CRM, well, you know, how am I, how am I helping my sale, the, the sales team, for example, um, you know, be more efficient and track relationships via my software? If it's a ticketing uh, platform, how am I helping my venues and the patron get access to the tickets that they want as fast, as smoothly as possible with less transaction friction? So come, you know, from the engineering part to the design part, to the to the executed whole commercials, you know, it's always, as you mentioned, thinking about, well, showing empathy for your end clients, 
client or clients um, and ensuring every at every checkpoint, the major decisions, um, the client perspective is probably the 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 heaviest influencer of that decision. Obviously, you need to make a profit out of it. But I mean, my mindset is I'd rather charge a bit more or add more cost to my solution if it means I'm much more confident that I'm answering a customer need bang on, right? Instead of like, you know, man, I'm kind of, kind of, you know, answering basically, I'm kind of fixing their problem, not fully, but let's be cheaper than the, than, than, than the competition. At the end of the day, I think if you're able to properly service your customer and really address their needs in a way that, that they appreciate the experience, they'll be willing to pay more. Right. That's my mindset. And, and you, you mentioned earlier something really interesting. I think you're right. I think empathy, asking yourself, asking your mom, asking if your mom, you know, would appreciate this type of service is good. It's probably the first the first, you know, safety net, you know, in terms of making decisions on your product and service and having a client centric approach. Um, the second one is really, you know, talk or survey. Um, you know, the, the, your teams that are closer to your customers, right? So that could be your sales team and that could be your customer service team, or your customer success team, right? Uh, essentially you as a CEO or whatever, CRO or CTO, um, obviously your, your opinion is extremely important, but you might not be the target demographic, right? Or you might be far removed from the actual experience of your end customers. You so are not your market. In a lot of cases, yep. this, this is like exactly. a, a, something I preach constantly. That is exactly right. Exactly. So, I mean, at a certain point, yes, ask yourself the question for sure, but don't, I mean, if it's a major decision and you're a big company, I definitely would not leave it at that, right? I would go and definitely ask our, our, my sales team, ask my customer success, customer service teams, and just get their opinion because they're just closer to the reality, right? And you kind of, I mean, the, we kind of pay them to be able to provide us this feedback. It'd be silly not to ask for it when we need it, right? Um, and at the end of the day as well, I mean, eh, ask your customers. You know, come, there's various ways to, to ask your customers for feedback, um, you know, via surveys, NPS, whatever it is to ensure uh, or simply – Pick up the phone. Call yeah, somebody. Phone. I mean, don't, don't hide behind the surveys is, is what I tell people. I go, talk to the people. Because, I mean, and I know why people don't do it. They're, they're afraid of the feedback, right? I agree. And exactly. But the thing is, is like it's better for somebody to tell you to their face, to your face, than it is for them to tell you tell someone else behind your back. 100%. And you know what? It's a very good point you're bringing, Dave. If, if you fear the feedback, it's because you really need it, in my opinion. I mean, if you don't want to hear it. I'd agree, 100%. How big, how big this feedback would be and how how much question marks it would bring to your own company about the service or the features or the product, that is probably the thing you need to hear the most, right? It uh, doesn't mean you need to act upon it immediately right away, but it's it's like the elephant in the room that you're pretending is not there. And playing the ostrich is not going to help your company long term. Right. And you might think, too, that it's an isolated thing. But if one person feels this way, you can be certain that there's other people. And they may just not be as vocal or they or more likely than not, maybe nobody asked them or maybe nobody listened. You know, there's a number of reasons that happen. So just like you said, being an ostrich and hiding from it, that's a 
bad decision. You know, I usually like to use wise or unwise decisions, but this is like, because I feel like good and bad makes value judgments. Hiding from customer feedback is a bad decision. I can make a value judgment on that all the time. That's a bad decision. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and the way, and it's interesting to hear you talk about this because, I, you know, you've said, uh, or I'll often say marketing simple because marketing is everything that you do, right? And actually, like now I would even push it a little further and I'll, I'm curious to get your response to this is that customer service is simple because customer service is everything you do. Every decision you make, every um, aspect of your offering uh, reflects how you want your customer to view you. And how you want them to feel as they walk through the customer journey with you. Right. Well, I, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think, you know, customer service and marketing by in principle and theories is very easy to understand, right? I don't think anybody would say, Oh, customer service is not important. I don't, I, I want to have bad service, right? Like, I, I think it's common sense. People want to have good service. Um, how to execute it. How to explain it to somebody, I think is pretty straightforward. How to execute it on a consistent basis as the different complaints, issues from the customers change constantly. Their reality is unique. The problem itself might be unique. Um, this is where it becomes complicated, right? Um, but I mean, not complicated. No, it's not true. It just, it requires, it requires a lot of empathy and it requires a lot of listening, right? And, Obviously in business and, and rightfully so. We want to scale things. We want to have processes, policies to be able to do things at a scale, um, in a cookie cutter way that, you know, we could do more with less. And that's the right way to think. I mean, I don't think we should not do this, but it's like everything else in life. It's not binary. It's, you can't be completely black or completely white. Not every customer service processes you will have could be completely customized. I mean, unless you have three big clients, then yes. But I mean, if you have lots of clients, you need to have some sort of cookie cutter approach to a certain extent. But that cannot chain you and limit you to have flexibility and personalization as outside of the box issues arise, right? So for me, it's simple in a sense that at the end of the day, it's about, well, listen to what your customer is telling to you, like really listen, just don't don't prepare your answer as he talks or just wait to, to shoot him the, the default uh, scripted answer. Really listen to what he says. Really understand what he says. If needs, if needs be, paraphrase exactly what he said to ensure he feels understood, right? And then go about addressing the problem the best you can, right? Um, and it sounds so simple. It just, unfortunately, with sometimes with time, financial, pressures um you know we we lose sight of that um you know um i i've worked again in the hotel world a number of years um leading various hotels and and i see sometimes what we call the natural platter uh i mean response in hotels right i'll, I'll give you an example let's say there is a plumbing problem in the room uh, and the heating's not working correctly um the guest complains I mean, rightfully so. And, um, you know, as a hotel, for various reasons or whatever, they're not able to fix the problem. The room is cold for one night. I mean, it's manageable. We're cold for one night. And the response of the complaint is say, hey, let's send them the next day a, a nice, huge natural platter to say we're sorry. Right. And I mean, it's better than doing nothing. But essentially, it's kind of not fixing the actual problem that you have. Maybe you could switch them rooms. Maybe you could have brought them extra blankets. 
maybe it can like a portable heater. I don't know. We can get creative. Try to at least make a conscious effort to actually address the specific problem he's having, right? Instead, let's just throw goodies at him and hope he's impressed and satisfied with the nachos you sent him or the or the the discount you might have gave him or whatever free night in the future. And I'm not to say these have no value. Were you shadowing me at my last trip to the Lowe's in New York City, the Regency in New York City? Were you, was that what was happening? Because no, no, no. It's, just, it's typical. It's typical because this is like, like they they want to scale the process. So let's say, okay, if you complain, do do this. Option one is one. Option two is B, and three. Um, and and sometimes you lose sight of well, let's try to fix his actual problem before we go to the natural platter, which... Well, this is uh, this is yeah. interesting, too, because I, and I want to, like, I'm sorry to step on you a little bit, because of you're course. talking about, like, the nacho platter thing, which I think is a, a, a great way to think through this. But also, then it's like, um, because we've talked about empathy so much, when you've defaulted to, like, how am I going to do my nacho platter uh, progression, right? Then yep. you're you're the opposite of empathetic. You're really condescending. Exactly. And that's like where a lot of customer service is like, if you're trying to check the box on customer service and you're not paying attention, you're not actively listening, which is what you were talking about. And you're not like in the moment trying to solve this problem, right? Because discounts great, but nobody really cares about those most of the time, right? I mean, there there are people, but most of the time, if you're having a problem, the last thing you want is a discount. The last thing you want is a free night because you're like going, shit, I just want my problem fixed. Um, All these things. It moves from empathy to being condescending, I think. I agree. It's actually counterproductive for certain profiles. You're right. Some of you might have discount, et cetera. And, you know, you'll see a gesture from the company. You come, okay. But it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of, hey, you know, I can't, I don't, I, it's not, it's not worth the bother. Here's a few goodies and hopefully you're happy. Um, and yeah, it, it's, well, you're right. It's, it's the, op- I mean, you've said it better than, than I could actually, is is the opposite of empathy. It's it's not putting yourself in your client's or customer's shoes, not seeing how your gesture, even though it's a gesture, does not at all answer their problem, does not at all, you know, um, mean, does not at all showcase your understanding his issue, right? And like, I don't think a natural platter makes you feel understood when you're cold in the room, right? So you're right. It could very actually be counterproductive. So not only is there a cost behind the natural platter, even though small, um, it's, it's, it might make you angrier as a customer. So yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's, uh, that's a, a really great point to highlight too. It's not just that it won't solve the problem. It probably will piss you off even more. And yep. and I I said the Lowe's Regency in New York, and I have to say that like I dealt with a experience over the summer that, that was exactly like that. Every, they would try to give me a nacho platter, and in the case of the Regency, it was like uh, chocolates and uh, champagne and drinks yeah. and all kinds of stuff, right? But all it did was make me it pissed me off more because as they would give me they would do something nice and they would listen to me and I, and i and I, it wasn't condescending it was like really empathetic but it never addressed the root cause and then what would happen was like they would the root cause would still be there and then like these additive things that were meant to soothe or um help reduce some of the stress of a bad situation then those would be handled poorly and that would just add to the add to the uh, frustration that i felt and so it, then it ends up just compounding the effort. And I think that that's like a really key idea that people need to understand is like 
make sure you solve the root problem because you can't guarantee that the stuff you're going to do to try to relieve the root cause are going to be met either with the same level that you need them to be met or if they're going to be met with the same intention that you intended them with. That's just perfect. Very well said. Very well said. I'm, I'm, I'm on a roll today. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. <laughs> I'm on a roll. <laughs> now, um, what, uh, moving off a little bit off of customer service, but it's still the same angle, um, is one of the things that like, you know, I talk about a lot with, when I'm talking about booking protect or I'm talking about a lot with just everybody is the idea of personalization. And as more and more of the transactions and more stuff starts or ends or uh, it occurs entirely online, right? Yep. Um, people are expecting more personalization or they desire more personalization or more customization in their buying journey, right? And that's, you know, um, I know Audience View is a partner. I don't know if you part of, if State 22 is a partner of Audience View, but I know Booking Protect is a uh, Audience View partner. They do a great job of offering options like that for people to customize their journey. You know, you know, do I want to buy parking? Do I want to buy refund protection? Do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? And I think it's great. Um, you know, and at its heart, right, you talked about what your mission at State 22 now is, is to provide people, get the, um, get your platform positioned in the proper part of the customer journey. I think you said you had some data that talked about personalization and the importance of, you know, making the journey kind of cohesive and um, consistent and personalized. Uh, or maybe you don't have specific data, but can you talk a little bit about the importance of that and how that plays into customer service? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and I think, you know, you start – you started this question off in the way that I think is the most powerful in the sense that nowadays with internet, we got access to so much information, right? It just completely changed the way we access information. And that's, that's kind of the root of, of too much information, right? Sometimes too much. You're right. Yeah. It's the root of, of the um, customization, personalization drive that we're seeing across so many different industries, right? Um, is that, you know, the, as a consumer, we, as you said, you might, we might have a buffet of choices when it comes to accommodation, parkings, restaurants, um, you know, and, and, and it becomes much more difficult for a company to say, well, let me, obviously I'm going to talk about accommodations a little bit, but to say, Hey, you know, I'm going to this theater and the theater is doing a package to say, well, we're partnered with this local Hilton, this local Marriott, which are great hotels, nothing wrong, but, you know, com that might have worked well probably 30 years ago where a, a user, well, I, I don't really know this city and I'm going for a weekend. Let me trust the actual venue because they likely have the best information on what's the best option when it comes to accommodation to go along with my night at the opera, for example. Uh, nowadays with the internet, I mean, people can browse a million different choices and being sort of limited to say, Hey, just go to our partner hotel, uh, just doesn't really match the reality of the internet anymore. Right. And in terms of customer journey, right. So it's, well, let me ask you too, before you yeah. go on, right. Cause you mentioned the you know, kind of the curation ability of the venue, um, the strength of that curation is lessened over the years, right? Am I right in that? Absolutely. Well, I think as a venue, there's only so many curating for accommodations and restaurants obviously is likely not your core business, right? So they, I mean, 
you can do awesome curation. I mean, some web, some travel websites do that extremely well, but that's their core business and a whole lot of resources are pulled into doing that, right? Um, depending on each user, their own, pa- I mean, if you think of Amazon, right? They curate a whole lot well, depending on how I buy to provide me other options that are relevant to me. But that's Amazon and they've got, that's like the core of their business is ensuring the content that's pushed to me is super relevant for me, Frederick, as a user by collecting the data and how I interact on their site. I don't think a venue could afford to have that or is worth investing into that. So since they don't um, do that, I mean, what they do is they just put like one or two partner hotels uh, or a partner restaurant or parking spot, which is fine. But chances are, you know, they're, they're only a, that's only a fit for maybe 5% of their patrons. Um, just because the other patrons might not have the budget for that, might not like this type of, of services, want to do something else, whatever it is. So yes, to go to your point, numbers show that, you know, the, the, the packaging, the curating from the venues is becoming less and less popular in terms of purchase volume. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I mean, cause I was thinking as you said that, I was like going, I, the only hotel recommendations I trust at this point are, Either from, and actually I take this back. The only re- hotel recommendations I trust <laughs> now are when I call my travel agent from American Express. Um, because I, even I've had like friends steer me wrong. Um, yeah. So, you know, so I was curious about that because I think sometimes when, when these personalization options are presented to people, they're presented as like, oh, no, oh, this is like, this will fit for everybody. And that's not necessarily true. And at least to me, it can kind of leave people in a little bit of a vacuum and it can be frustrating. Right. Because you don't necessarily know if you don't know a city very well, you don't have any idea what's close, what's not close, what's safe, what's unsafe, what's clean, what's unclean, what's, you know, really five star or three star or four star and what's not. I mean, these are all important decisions. Yeah, no, you're spot on. And I think I think what happens when you're right, when people are in the vacuum and they, they end up going like we have enough stats, like event goers. You know, to, if they're, if they're traveling for that specific event or they're looking for a place to stay, you know, come, because they're in the vacuum, 91% of them start by Googling on a search engine, you know, options nearby the actual venue, right? And, and, and surprisingly, the average time it takes, you know, for them to, to search and find the venue, uh, sorry, find the accommodation is about 38 minutes. Um, and that's completely outside of the whole ticketing flow. After they purchase a ticket, they say, okay, let me go that, let me attend 38 minutes. Um, and, and I mean, that's not, I know it sounds, doesn't sound a lot, but that's very inefficient in terms of time, right? It all um, adds up, right? Like, I mean, you, 38 minutes, 38 minutes for your hotel, then you'd spend time figuring out what you want to go to dinner or like what you want to do. Oh. I mean, it all adds up. Exactly. Exactly. And they all say that, you know, come the two drivers on where you're going to stay, right? Or even restaurant. I mean, it's always the same stats. It's 95% it's location, right? Obviously how close you are to the actual event that you're going to the venue, to the stadium, whatever it is, um, you know, by, by nature of it. And, and second one is price, right? So, so price obviously at 88% price is the main factor. It's important, but not as much as location. Right. Um, so so having being able, you know, how I put it, having a solution like State 22, I'm kind of plugging myself here shamelessly. But, you know, the fact that you don't have to browse from Plug away. 
Hotels.com. <laughs> Hotels.com. And then say, oh, what a great deal. This hotel is great. And then, then you go on Google Maps. And, oh, no, shoot. It's eight miles away from my venue. Start the process again, right? So being able to see everything on, a, on an interactive map is something that, you know, is really, really pertinent to the actual event goers that's, that's, that's traveling, right? And if you're a ticketing company, if you're a venue and you're able to address this need for your event goers on your platform, well, it's a competitive edge, right? Um, not only are you providing a service, again, you're answering a need that you know a lot of them have instead of leaving them in the vacuum and uh, having them fend for themselves. And not only, obviously, are you servicing your end customer, which is, in my opinion, like the, probably the most important thing, uh, but obviously, you know, you, you're, you're now managing that process, owning that process, and you're able to collect data on on how your customers interact with that map and where they actually, obviously you don't know exactly who your customer is because there's a whole uh, GDPR thing here, but you'll know which which properties they booked, where, where which restaurants they go and et cetera. So if you want to have a partner hotel, well, at least you'll know exactly the numbers of where your patrons are staying, right? Instead of imagining that they love the, uh, uh, that they actually love the Marriott, right? Right. And, um, and yeah, and obviously it's an, our system is an affiliate program. So not only do you do all that that I discussed, but it's also a new, uh, new revenue source. Oh yeah, I love revenue. But let me, let me, let me, let me point out one thing here too, because you talked about the data and you're not, not having necessarily specific buyer data, but what, and you tell me if I'm wrong, because I think this is important for people to understand if they're thinking about something like this or just in general is you don't have the specific buyer data. Um, and the specific buyer data is great to have over time. But in the case of something like this, it operates more as a heat map. And so you can see like, oh, people uh, gravitate towards this, right? Or they gravitate towards this restaurant or this hotel or, or this part of town. And that helps, you know, for all kinds of decisions that you're going to make about how you present your experience. So just not having necessarily all the data that goes to one specific user doesn't mean that that data is Valueless, correct? Correct. Well, you're spot on. I mean, there's 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 tons of data that's actionable in terms of marketing, remarketing, or just knowing your customers more. It does a heat map is a great way. Actually, I might steal that from you, Dave, as the way to to present. Go right exactly ahead. I'm going to ruin this idea that I don't know anything about technology. So <laughs> now, but that's a great way to actually to, to communicate it, and it also also tells you like you know what's the What's the kind of buying pattern of your people, right? It's, you know, come our stats show that, and I heard that a lot, especially from performing arts that say, oh, you know, our people are not into Airbnb, they want hotels. Well, our stats show that over 40% of our, 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 the event goers, um, in performing arts, um, performing arts, I'm sorry, actually use Airbnb. So it, should, it kind of changes your mindset. It understands more your customer and it sort of debunks some hypotheses that you might have that could be, could have been true 10 years ago that are not, right? Um, so there's tons of data that's actionable in there. You know, how long they stay. For example, if you know, hey, people who buy a show, for example, for, um, a one a one evening show. Well, I see thanks to the map, the Sydney Two map, that actually on average they stay three nights. So maybe I have the opportunity to cross sell another show to them, right? Um, so it just gives tons of information to realize that hey, maybe actually there's more opportunity remarketing, cross marketing, cross selling opportunities that you can have, or or in terms of simply 
partnering up with different uh, hospitality, hotels, restaurants nearby that, again, being client-centric, that that's the restaurant your people are actually using, right? Instead of partnering up with that jazz bar, for example, that you love, but you realize that none of your patrons ever go there, and even though you offer a free drink if they show their tickets, right? Do, do that with the one where people are actually going. That's exactly just, right. You're, you're yeah, not your market. You have to always remember, put yourself in your customer's shoes, not yours. Got it. You got it. And actually, just to go to your point, uh, without going too technical, right? If your venue, if your your ticketing platform requires or is able to have a a, a sign in, right? So if you do have the sign in, you meaning you, you can push the unique user ID through the transaction on our map, right? So in that case, you know our map or or the dashboard of our map, like the backend access for the partner, will be able to capture what the user ID is, the unique ID is on the venue side. So it's like a series of numbers and letters that mean nothing to Stephanie. It means nothing to anybody except for that ticketing platform or that that uh, that venue. So Dave, for example, you could be Dave ABCD134, right? Um, nobody knows who that is except for I don't know, uh, Carnegie Hall, right? Since you've logged in and you're, you have, you have a sign in with them, they know that Dave Wakeman is the one, two, three, four, A, B, C, D, right? So with that, you're able to get identified different transactions with a specific user. And then you can retarget specifically that user. I went a bit technical here. Hopefully it didn't kill you. No, I don't think that was too technical at all. I think that's probably very relevant to what people are, are wondering because, you know, if you tell them there's a, a GDPR compliance aspect to something, that's probably going to scare a lot of people in America because we don't have anything comparable, right? Um, and uh, I think probably there's a lack of awareness of what that really means. And you explained it, I think, very well, which it doesn't mean that you can't track or use data or even understand who the person is um, specifically. It's just there's a certain requirement that you have, exactly. you know, they have to share, be willing to share what they're doing, right? You can't just track them mindlessly like I think a lot of companies do in the States. Correct. Yeah, you got it. That's it. Hey, I mean, look, I'm, I'm blowing this non-technical thing out of the water today. <laughs> Jeez Louise. <laughs> now, um, one more question before before we head off into the thing, because uh, I, I, your dog is doing the same thing my dog is, which is like, when well, I got to go outside, Dad. Uh, and um, now um, I want to talk a little bit about the um, intics for a second. Now, uh, yep. you know, and, you know, what people, you know, number one, like, you know, what do you hope to gain from intics? you know, the conference this year? You know, what are you looking forward to? Um, who are you hoping to meet? You know, stuff like that. Yeah, give me just like a brief overview of what you're thinking about as far as like your Intix experience. Because if I'm not mistaken, this is going to be your first time there. Am I right? You're spot. You're right, Dave. Um, you're going to be a red dot, Fred. That's it. That's it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, I, like I mentioned, I'm, I'm new to the whole ticketing world, and it's obviously one of the major or probably our most successful vertical here at uh, State 22. So for me, the, my first objective is is education. I, I want to understand more of that ecosystem, um, understand more of those challenges, its major players. Um, you know where it's going, where it's been. Um, you know, I, I I'm four months in at State 22. I'm very much a ticketing virgin, if you'd like. Um, so I, I, I really want to learn more and, and, and meet people who, who can, I mean, I wouldn't say teach me, but really that, that, that can, yeah, provide me like a, with a better understanding of that whole ecosystem. That's my number one goal. 
obviously, as the head of sales as a company, I, I wouldn't be lying if, you know, I, I, I want to strengthen some relationship with some of our current existing partners and sort of, you know, have, you know, f- fun yet productive chats and, you know, how we can best, uh, you know, b- best collaborate and enhance the performance of our solution together to everybody's benefit, including the patrons. Um, I also want to get a chance to probably meet uh, some of our prospective partners and get a chance to, again, like, you know, I think our solution is, is a little bit like we're selling change. So I, I like we're not a commodity to say like, hey, You've been, you've been eating bananas. Uh, my bananas are cooler and cheaper. So buy mine. You're like, it's not a reality. I mean, of our sales process at all. So try, try to get like a platform for us to discuss, you know, what's the benefits we can bring to them, understand what their pain points are, how they see customer journey, how they see travel part of that, that patron journey and how we could potentially, you know, help them in that. Um, and I'm looking to have fun. I mean, I'm a, I'm a father of two. I don't get out much, to be honest. So uh, we'll be doing a little bit of a, of a private event ourselves, and I'm sure there'll be tons of evening events. Um, so, yeah, I mean, education. Well, it's a big party. If, you, if you've never been, it's a big party. Don't worry. Cool. Awesome. Well, that's um, – I the only parties that I really go to now are when I go to trade shows. So <laughs> I'll, I'll be very happy with that party. So, yeah, I mean, education, business development, and meeting great people and having fun. Essentially, it's as simple as that. Well, I think that's a good way to approach it too. It's, um, uh, you know, and I'll plug our, our panel one more time. It's going to be, um, you know, the customer service is the best form of marketing. Um, and it'll be, there'll be four of us, I believe. It'll be me and you, uh, Simon Mav, and I've, uh, I want to say Ghislaine Holman is the fourth Gilles. person. Yeah. Uh, and I'd be like really, bad if I didn't plug Elaine because she's fantastic. Um, she's a really, really great person. Um, you know, and so I definitely tell people to come check us out. Uh, Frederick, how can people find you on the internet? Um, honestly, just, you can Google my name. You can Google Stay22. Uh, we just launched a new website about a month ago. If you're if you're into social media and LinkedIn, I'm, I'm a huge believer in LinkedIn. I'm active on it. So uh, Frederick Awad, on LinkedIn, uh, hit me up, follow me, uh, post content, uh, share stuff with me. I'm, I'm always eager to learn. I find it's, it's a great way to, to, for me again, to get educated on the ticketing world. And, um, and yeah, I mean, try us out, uh, try the map if you're curious. Uh, I mean, hit us up and we'll, we'll see how we can help each other. Yeah. Let me plug the map because I used it last year when I was going to, um, when I was looking at travel for the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Birmingham, uh, and it really is a, a super, super simple for somebody who is a professed uh, tech um, knucklehead like myself. So it's, it's great. Um, that that can be uh, my plug. You can use that as an endorsement. Uh, I'm a tech knucklehead. It's easy to use. Um, but, Frederick, man, thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure, Dave. Thank you for having me. It's, it's been really fun. Appreciate that. What did you think of my conversation with Fred from Stay 22? Let me know. Send me an email. It's my name, Dave at DaveWakeman.com. In the intro, and because I was a little bit too lazy to go back and re-record the whole thing, I said I don't remember who's the third person on our um, panel, and I'm an ass, uh, a complete ass, because it's Ghislaine Bullman, <laughs> um, who is like an old-school friend of the podcast and a friend of mine. So I, I'm really embarrassed that I forgot her. Um, as always, though, I think that you should definitely check out our panel at Intix, which is going to be 
on Thursday, January 23rd, 2020, from 10.30 to 11.30 a.m. It's me, Ghislaine, Simon, and Fred. And we're talking about service is the best form of marketing. It's going to be a fantastic conversation. Um, if you have not already, sign up for my Talking Tickets newsletter because this week, from the si- today until about noon on January 13th, uh, let's say noon Eastern time, I will be giving a giveaway. If you sign up for Talking Tickets, which you can do by visiting my website, DaveWakeman.com, and clicking on the Talking Tickets link, you can sign up. And for each person you encourage, colleague, friend, co-worker, to sign up, I will give you an extra chance to win a registration to Intix 2020, courtesy of my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Come see us at the conference. It'll be me, Simon, Cat. We're going to be having a great time. There, Simon always comes up with a great game, some kind of great giveaway, some kind of f- something fun to do. So I don't even know what it is yet. He won't tell me until the very last minute. I think it's because he's afraid. I'm be like, don't do that. That's crazy. And then it's always fun. Um, you know, as always, keep up with me by visiting my website. It's DaveWakeman.com. On my the business of value e- email and it goes out on Sundays, I have talked about what my ideas and where I'm, my focus is going to be for 2020. It's going to be on a couple of ideas that I think are very, very important to you no matter what industry you're in. The first one is all strategy is marketing strategy. And it is this idea that I have and hold that every strategic decision you make is also a marketing decision. I'm going to focus on helping people create and capture more opportunities, right? Because the whole gig, the way that we stay in business, the way that we continue to do what we do is by creating and capturing opportunities. And I want people to be able to do more of that this year. And then the final thing is I want to talk to people about innovation, about constantly growing and about constantly adapting to change. So check it out. It's going to be everything that I'm focusing on this year. Um, Unless I change my mind, which is completely within my rights. Uh, make sure that you connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can search for him as Dave Wakeman. You'll find me right there. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at David Wakeman. I'm still trying to get that at Dave Wakeman Twitter handle. If you know how to get it for me, I'd love you for it. Uh, make sure that you are letting me know if you're going to be at Intix in New York on the 20th through the 23rd of January. I've said October about a hundred times, it seems like. So it's January 20th to 23rd. Send me an email, davidavewakeman.com. Let me know you're going to be around. Let's set up some time to chat. It'll be great. As always, as we head into 2020, I want to thank you for being here. I have almost reached 100 episodes of this podcast, and I couldn't do it without all of you. I just found out the, the average podcast has about 20 listeners, and I got way more than 20. So thank you so much for being here. Um, as always, I love to hear from you. So again, DavidDaveWakeman.com. Uh, and if not, I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much for being here. Happy New Year. I look forward to a great year from all of us. All right? Thank you so much. I'll talk to you next time. Take it easy.